Sports Ethos New York Knicks podcast. Andre Gallagher, the Knicks finally get a win in this stretch of games, making me out to be a liar. I think I said right before this little losing streak that they just needed to maintain, and they're kind of still in that spot, but it's a little bit shaky with Miami coming into town, hungry. They took a bad loss to the Nets, though, which was a little disappointing. But they're hungry. It was a lot of trash talk in that last Miami game. The Knicks got to be ready tonight. Brunson just doesn't look like he's going to be playing. He's still got that little soft cast on his hand. Uh, I'm really not even sure what the injury is at this point. There's been some some reports, but it still looks a little kind of secretive as to what this injury was. But listen... IQ, awesome game against Houston. A lot of you fans overreacting as you always do to IQ's great games. And I hate to be the one to throw cold water on on the IQ love all the time. I don't, I don't want to be that guy because I really like IQ. I like IQ as much as most most Nick fans do. I just, I can't help but see when, how convenient everyone is when IQ has an outstanding game and when IQ is kind of ordinary and, and the Knicks are six and five when Jalen Brunson doesn't play, you know, it's not like IQ is out there dropping 40 every single game. You know, the Knicks j- did just come off a three game losing streak and IQ could have, you know, they lost to Orlando. Now I'll give them the Miami loss and Orlando has been beating people and Orlando was due against the Knicks too. But, Listen, the Knicks are losing games. They lost that Charlotte game IQ was playing and Brunson wasn't. I'm just saying, the Knicks are a stronger team when both of them are playing. Stop acting like Brunson hasn't been playing at an all-NBA level for most of the year. IQ comes in. He has some solid games. He has some so-so games. And then he drops 40 on the Houston Rockets and everybody wants him to be the starting point guard. Just stop, please. Just Ask IQ to give you 80% of that every night. Not 40 points, but that level of aggressiveness offensively where he's not. some That's really what IQ does. He kind of becomes a wallflower sometimes. And it's not all his fault. You got Randall on the floor. And we're going to talk about Randall in a minute. Always demanding the ball. And he's trying to run the offense. And he's not the greatest at creating offense off the dribble for other people. He's a good, solid passer, but he's not necessarily a create offense type of guard. So it's easy for him to have the ball and give the ball up and you don't hear from him again if he's not aggressive. When he's aggressive, I think I think he's a weapon the Knicks need to get over the hump against some of these teams. So IQ has to be more consistently aggressive offensively and not quite as opportunistic, even though being an opportunistic offensive player is a feather in his cap because not everyone is is like that. And it's it's a dangerous weapon when you come and you when you score from angles on the court, from places on the court that the other team isn't expecting necessarily, it's a nasty weapon. They're expecting you to catch the ball and and pump fake and pass it to someone else, but instead you catch the ball and either pump fake, sidestep and shoot it, or attack and put up a floater. When you're doing that every single night, 
And he's been like that for the majority of the season. But his, his ebbs and flows. His, there are just times when he just disappears and you're not getting enough offense out of him and not, not enough creation out of him. And the Knicks need that in that second unit. They need it. They need it whenever he's on the floor because the ball gets moved around and somebody has to make the defense pay. It can't just find Randall so he can hoist up a contested three every time. Can't. He has to be this guy more consistently. But I'm not here to criticize IQ. It's just that too many, I'm seeing too many people saying you shouldn't have brought in Jalen Brunson, should have just started IQ. Not only is that revisionist history because it wasn't like IQ was playing like this necessarily before, but it's because he's he he's broken his career high twice this year. This is not like IQ has been this guy for two years. But it's important to have offensive contributions up and down the roster if you want to win consistently. And to take Jalen Brunson, who has had an outstanding year, has been one of the clutchest players in the year, something that IQ can't necessarily say, and say, we're going to put him on the bench because IQ is playing better. It's just, again, the Knicks are 6-5 and five when Brunson doesn't play. Okay? And the Knicks' defense hasn't necessarily been stellar since Brunson has been out, even though we know Brunson is not a great defensive player and IQ is. It gets a little overstated a little bit when he has to be the sole the sole contributor at the point guard position against starters every night. Things get a little bit different. I'm not saying you're not a good defensive player. I'm just saying sometimes sometimes it's sweet when you're coming off the bench. Sometimes it's sweet. And he plays with the starters a lot. He's a weapon when he plays with the starters. I think if he can play consistently aggressively, offensively with the starters. When Brunson is here, the Knicks are dangerous. When he be, when he gets back into wallflower mode, that's when the Knicks get into, into trouble with that second unit. All that to say, all that to say, stop with the IQ over Brunson nonsense. Stop it. You sound like the most ridiculous fans, type of fans out there. With that nonsense. Jalen Brunson has been awesome all year. You have not seen IQ be Jalen Brunson all year. Every single single game. You've not seen it. You've seen him be. Similar to Brunson in spurts. And you've seen him be. A starting caliber point guard. More often than not. But you have not seen him be Jalen Brunson. You've seen him attack defenses. That were not ready for him. And were not scouting him. And were not keyed on him the way they are with Brunson. And that does bring me to, I just want to talk about Julius Randle for a little while. I've mentioned this, I think I mentioned this last episode, Julius Randle has been on a downward spiral, I would say, for like a month now. All of that meditation before the game, getting your mind right, all that stuff, it seems to have taken a backseat and you're seeing a lot of the same bad habits that you saw last year. And you've been seeing it not just in the last week, okay? You've been seeing it for like a month now. He's always with the sourpuss. 
You don't see him smiling the way he was early in the year, smiling around, joking. It's almost like he was taking the game too lightly for, like if you were just on the outside looking in and you took a glimpse at it, it kind of seemed like he was just taking the game too lightly. But as a as someone who was watching the game, you saw the intensity was still there after the first couple of weeks of the season. The intensity was still there. He just had a lighter mood. And... Just recently, you, you just don't see him congratulating teammates the same way. You just don't see him getting excited for teammates the same way. You've seen his body language towards teammates being very poor. And I understand the body language police come out. Oh, it doesn't always mean what you think it means. Listen, for you irrational Julius Randle defenders of last year, I'm not talking about this year where he's been awesome for the most part, but There are still many of you, and I see you on Twitter, you know who you are, who like to act like last year didn't happen because he's been good this year. That's like a disease that I see a lot of you people have. Where because somebody is good now and they were bad before, bad before doesn't count anymore because they're good now. You want people to apologize because someone was because they were being criticized for being bad before because they're good now. No, no, no. They were bad before. That happened. And they were criticized for being bad. Julius Randle, there have been stories written. Some of you guys, you don't you don't read, you don't really follow the team the way you need to if you're going to be this opinionated about the team. You can be a fan and just watch the games, but if you're going to be opinionated about the game and about the team, can you at least consume information? There have been stories written about Julius Julius Randle being or getting a talking to by assistant coach Johnny Bryant about his behavior and his mood on the court. And he was asked very clearly, are you the type of teammate that you would want to have? And he had to look himself in the mirror. He talked about this. He talked about it. Last year, he was not good. So you guys are defending his behavior last year when he's not defending it. So what are you going to say now? You're going to say, oh, he's just saying that because he has. Why would he have to say that if he didn't do it? He had to make a change. Julius Randle is sitting on the bench with an assistant coach guiding him through a a visualization and meditation before the game to calm his ass down. So that his mind is in the right place. Meanwhile, you dimwits are on Twitter talking about everyone else is wrong for pointing out what that behavior was last year. Like you're seeing him needing to improve and find ways to augment the behavior. So how can you say it didn't happen? How can you say that? It's, It's ridiculous. It blows my mind. Yeah, he was that guy. He was, he was off his rocker last year, and you're starting to see in the last month or so, you're starting to see it again. You're starting to see it again. And IQ, he had a little incident with IQ. It's a little bit overblown at this point. I'm not saying it wasn't a thing. It was a thing, but it's overblown at this point. It's been discussed too much, right? Got people looking at pictures of them on the bench, not talking. Like, stop it. Okay? They argued. They talked about it. It was over. All right? But IQ talked about it in, in, in a post-game interview. And 
he said, listen, everybody wants to win, you know, and he said, it's not just the bat, it's not just the basketball. And that triggered me. I'm like, well, okay, what is it? What is it? What do you mean? It's not just the basketball. Then what is it? Is there something else going on? Is there something going on in the team, within the team that we need to know about? Because it's playoff time. It's down to stretch. Don't think Julius Randle is going to be different in the playoffs than he is right now because the Knicks are essentially in a pseudo, pseudo playoff right now. Right? They just they needed to just stay the course. I'll stick to that. But they're in a pseudo playoff right now. They have a two-game lead on two teams for that fifth seed. So the idea that Miami game, like in Miami, I won't say it was necessarily a playoff type atmosphere, etc. I won't say that. This Miami game here in New York, it is. Don't want to lose this game. Okay, you didn't want to lose this game against, you don't want to lose any of these games, really. But you didn't want to lose that game against Houston either. And Randall played pretty decently. But again, you didn't see his attitude being different. And although, again, I'll acknowledge those of you who want us to want to caution us from reading into everything we see on the court and behavior wise, I get it. But please understand that this is what he did last year. And this was a behavior that he admitted he needed to change. So you can't really criticize people for seeing the same thing and and calling it what it is. Calling it how they see it. You can't can't do that. He's doing the same thing he did last year, and he had to change his behavior. Okay, and his teammates, I give all, I give them all credit for the patience and allowance and tolerance that they showed Julius Randle, because he is not he on the court. He is not the best teammate in the world. Huh? If you don't, if you disagree with that, that I'm not sure if you ever played with teammates, because the last thing you want is someone who doesn't rush to pick you up when you fall down, doesn't rush to dap you up when you get an one and nice, make a nice play, will look you off, will look you off on a swing-swing when the ball finds him on the perimeter. He 100% does that. Look you off. Two people on him and doesn't make the pass and instead takes a contested three. He did it last night in Houston. He did it to IQ. IQ was one pass away. He was in the corner. There were two defenders on him. He, he, he like kind of, not really pump fake, but kind of motion towards IQ. IQ's calling for the ball. Not every time a guy's calling for the ball, he's open. But he had two guys on him. That was the play. The play was to throw it to IQ. If you weren't going to throw it to IQ, then whatever decision you made had to be superior to that one. And what did he end up do, doing? He ended up taking a contested three-point shot. So again, his teammates have been very tolerant of his shot selection, of his poor decision-making down the stretch of the games. He's one of the worst players down the stretch of games in terms of turnovers. That's a fact. That's a fact. When he gets double-teamed, he doesn't always make the right read. I don't care what Mike Breen says. All respect to the Hall of Famer. He always gives Randall kudos for making the right decisions when he's double teamed. He doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't make the right decisions all the time when he's double teamed. He holds the ball too long. He's gotten a little bit better at it the last quarter of the season. I would say he's gotten a little bit better at that, but he holds the ball too long. He tries to make difficult passes instead of a simple pass. 
when guys come with the double team, he's not quick to kick that ball out, and he will complain if the ball's not kicked out to him and someone else's double team. He he acts like on the court, he acts like the worst kind of teammate. That is not that's I will roll around the dirt with anybody on that. Okay? With anyone. He acts like the worst kind of teammate on the court. He is not the most... Now, off the court, everybody says great things about him, so I can't speak to that. On the court, that's why he gets so much hate from people who actually pay attention. And I think there are excuse makers for him. But if you're actually watching and you know, like that's just not how you act. You don't behave that way. He, all the histrionics when he doesn't get the ball, he doesn't make the right play, the huffing and puffing. It's like, listen, man, listen, that's, come on. Enough is enough. Nobody does that nonsense to you now that you've reverted back to the to the off-balance, fadeaway, mid-range jump shot that we've seen resurface in the last couple weeks. Nobody wants to see that shot, my man. Stick to the shot profile that you've had all year long that has been successful for you. The, the contested three-pointers. And drives to the rim a little bit. And we've seen a few more drives to the rim. That's a good thing from him. But let's stay. I don't want to get into the weeds of the basketball right now. It's just the way he's behaving. It can't be a coincidence that the Knicks just don't look as sharp. And they had a long layoff before the Houston game. Maybe they were able to get some things right. But that's Houston. So it's hard to, it's hard to really gauge it. You're really not going to see until... Like, this Miami game is a huge game. Miami's a tough opponent. And Jimmy Butler gets all the calls. So, it's a, it's a really tough opponent. But it's it's markedly tougher to play with someone who is just not being positive enough on the court. It's just, it's just tougher. You take a shot, he don't like it, he's huffing and puffing. I mean, come on. I mentioned last episode, there was a turnover and everybody runs past him. He ain't want to run back. Now, if he's tired, I get it. Well, you know, it was a long layoff. Long layoff. I keep saying tonight, but the Miami game is Wednesday. And that'll be the second half of a back-to-back for Miami. It's a game the Knicks have to win. And down this last stretch of games, the Knicks should be pulling together after having the success that they've had since the All-Star break, the trade deadline with Josh. They should be pulling together. It, it should not be worse than it was before. So I don't really get, I don't know if there's something going on with Julius Randle or whatever. Somebody needs to fix it. This is not the time for him to revert to the worst version of himself. And I think he's, He's derailing the season by acting like that. I don't think it's a coincidence that him acting like that and the Knicks just not being quite as sharp as they were before. I don't think it's a coincidence that those two things are happening at the same time. And just like I don't think it's a coincidence that these things are happening as Jalen Brunson is dealing with some injuries. You had the foot injury a couple weeks ago. Now you get the hand injury. If you're going to be the leader of the team, if you want the MVP chance when you're at the free throw line and everybody else gets and they really don't want to give it to you, (laughs) unless you're scoring 50 plus points, 
all right? You got to be a, a better teammate visibly on the court. And I think that's just going to help everyone else. I do want to shout out R.J. Barrett, uh, who's still a little bit shaky sometimes with the ball in his hands. But R.J. Barrett's effort defensively last night, I think, was stellar. I think he's been much better. He's not necessarily a good defensive player, but you want to see the effort and extra efforts. And I think him giving that makes the Knicks a better team. Just even if he's not great at it, it makes him a better team. You can't be a sieve. You can't just be a matador defender the way uh, Walt Clyde Frazier would put it. You have to at least have your body on people. You have to make people adjust. You have to make people speed their games up. And he did that last night against a Houston team that is not a good team, but they have some good players. I saw him get over screens with some gusto last night. And I just want to... I want to point that out because I, that needs to be his baseline now going forward. You can kind of do a before and after video with R.J. Barrett when it comes to him giving effort defensively and just kind of standing and staring and you know not chasing balls down. I would hope that Josh Hart rubbed off on him and, and a few of his teammates, but it seemed like he might have. I think I think the layoff before the Houston game may have gotten some bad habits out of the Knicks. I don't know if their Achilles heel at this point is is solvable at this point in the season. And that's the fact that Nick that that teams are attacking the Knicks with pace now. They don't come down just trying to run their half court offense and take their time. They come down playing with pace and attacking and you've seen a handful of teams attacking the Knicks that way now. And now that the season's coming to an end, I think you see a lot of teams kind of, especially teams like Houston, Orlando, where they've put, they've put a lot of the pressure aside and they're just going out there playing. And I think the Knicks are vulnerable to that. I think they are used to sitting back and, and waiting and waiting for the team to start running their sets and, and then play defense, whereas these teams are coming down and they're just attacking. Just attacking. Attacking from all angles and attacking from all positions. Something the Knicks should do more of. And you saw a little bit of that in this Houston game. And again, I'm hoping that little layoff they had before it is is helpful to the team and, and diversifying their offensive attack and shoring up their defensive strategies because you saw a few things. You saw Hardenstein pin down a mismatch and get the ball. Josh Hart was, of course, responsible for that. You saw Hardenstein get the ball to the free throw line with some cutters around. You've seen that sprinkled in the last couple of games. You've seen Mitch turn the corner, dribble and drive. You've seen it once in the last handful of games. But I, I'm hopeful that he and Obi Toppin start looking at the rim instead of just doing the arbitrary dribble handoffs at the top of the key because the lane is open a lot of times and if they just turn the corner instead of just looking to pass something that Quentin Grimes has done as well where he stops playing aggressively and just, just starts looking to make the next next play, next pass that the play calls for I hate that. There has to be some more read and react to the offense I do think there's an intimidation factor uh, between between the Tibbs and Randall when it comes to reading and reacting offensively because RJ 
is most comfortable doing that. He has a lot of freedom when it comes to reading and reacting in the offense, and he can turn down the next pass and the next play and just go one-on-one. And there's a lot of mixed results when he does that. But you can see that he's breaking the play, and you can, and I brought this up earlier, you can see Julius Randle getting frustrated with him if it doesn't turn out. And I think Quentin Grimes, Obi doesn't play with Julius, but also with Obi is more so a pressure that comes comes from Tibbs. But Quentin Grimes, less so Mitchell Robinson, because I don't think Mitchell Robinson really cares that much if somebody is mad at him. But Quentin Grimes especially, it needs to be more read and react when he is on the floor instead of just being arbitrary facilitator, uh, glue guy, spot-up guy. There are more plays that he can make, and he should be looking to make them as opposed to just, oh, well, the play calls for Julius Randle to get this ball on the wing so he can go one-on-one. Like, if you see a better play, take it, because that's not always the best play. You can always go back to that. You know, but you getting your game on track, you getting in rhythm and making defenses play you honestly, it's just going to open things up for everyone else anyway. Guys just start, they stop paying attention to you unless you're a spot up. If you're Quentin Grimes, unless you're spotting up or unless you, if you're Obi, unless you're spotted up, nobody's paying attention to you when that shot is taken away. Once you start making them pay attention, then they're more attentive to you, which means they're less attentive to your teammates. So any number of plays can open up when, when you're a weapon all the time. And uh, we talked about that a little bit with IQ earlier, where he's not always aggressive offensively. It's the same thing. If they know they can't just not pay attention to you, you're going to be more dangerous. The team is going to be more dangerous. When they start sagging off and, oh, he's not going to drive and score, you know, then that means they're paying more attention to the primary weapons, which makes their jobs more difficult. But anyway, this Miami game, listen, I don't want to say I was wrong yet, (laughs) but that three-game losing streak did not help. Still a a two-and-a-half game lead, which is about where it was when I first made that comment. So, in reality, it's right back where things started. Six games to go, I believe, in the season. They're not necessarily easy games. The Wizards, the Cavs. Miami, I think that's who is coming up next. I think the order is Miami, Cavs, Wizards. The Knicks should beat the Wizards, but the Wizards have a lot of confidence in playing against the Knicks at this point, but they should win that game. The Cavs game is a little concerning. You don't, you know, that's a game that's not necessarily a game the Knicks need to win, but it is a game where the Cavs are going to look to send a message. So it's it could be a more interesting game. Than you think, because I don't, I don't know if the Knicks, Knicks are always going to play to win. That's the way Tibbs is, but they're not going to throw a bunch of wrinkles in that game. I don't think they're that's, they may not throw any wrinkles in the playoffs, but that's a whole nother conversation. But I think they're just going to play that game straight up. They're going to play to win just like they always do. The Cavs, however, are probably going to be a little bit more vanilla in how they attack. The Knicks, the Cavs don't need to win that game. They're comfortable in the slot that they're in. They're probably not, they're not going to fall to five more than likely. They're not going to get up to three. Let me see. How many games are they out of three? Actually, they got a chance at three. They do have a chance at three. Only a game and a half out of three. And there are rumors the Cavs don't want to play the Knicks. And Philadelphia and B sat down the other night. They might, they might, they might 
they might go for that three spot. That's interesting. That's not a conversation you're hearing discussed a lot. The Cavs just being a game out of the third, the third seed. Uh uh-uh. uh. Hmm. I'm gonna keep an eye on that because it would be pretty funny if the Philadelphia 76ers fell to that fourth seed, and that's who the Knicks had to play in that first round. And the whole importance of keeping the FHC was to stay out of the sixth seed, so you didn't have to play Philly. That's funny. That's funny. But anyway, make sure you don't forget sportsethos.com at sportsethos on Twitter at ethos Knicks. Until next time.